You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at what's going on traditional universities are outdated and don't teach you how to become an entrepreneur they just teach you how to become an employee you go to school for four years and you leave with nothing but debt but here at eyl university our curriculum is much different our university teaches you real world skills that you can use to gain financial freedom right away in traditional universities you learn from professors that have never did what they teach and they teach you how to become an employee at our university we use instructors that are currently successful in a specific field that they teach and they teach you how to become an entrepreneur for a limited time only you can join eyl university for 25 percent off of the annual membership learn about stocks credit real estate crypto and more go to eyluniversity.com right now and sign up to become an earner don't wait don't hesitate head over there now my graduates from my school being forbes backdrop backdrop <laughs> <laughs> mic drop backdrop backdrop All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, ATL edition is our second home. Yeah. And every time we come down here, we got legendary content that we that we produce. Big time. So this this was an interview that we actually, um, we supposed to do this before. Yeah, we talked about it in the elevator. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, scheduling didn't really kind of work, work out, but um, I'm glad we got a chance to do it now. It's perfect timing, actually, with everything that's going on. So Ryan Wilson is a young entrepreneur, um, that's killing the game right now. The gathering spot. If you if you're from Atlanta, I'm pretty sure you've heard of the gathering spot. It's a big deal. And um, so now there's actually three locations. One that's just got built, I believe, in DC. One that's being built in LA and uh, the mothership here in Atlanta. Absolutely. So the gathering spot is kind of a mix between co-working space, event space. Is that? Yeah. I, can I give it a title? All right. It, it, it's the hub of culture. It's mm-hmm. it has civic engagement. And it's a birthplace for entrepreneurism. Okay. Can, can we go with that? I'll I, I rock with that. That works. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hub. It's a hub for creatives to come, to work, to build with each other, to network, to meet people. It's a, it's a whole cultural experience. Um, and Ryan, he's 30 years old. He's from Marietta? I grew up in Marietta, yeah. Marietta, and then he went to George Washington. Oh, no. Georgetown. Georgetown. Oh, yeah. Georgetown. He's a Hoya. <laughs> Not George Washington. Yeah, he's a Hoya. Georgetown. Georgetown, D.C. So he has D.C. roots. And um, he came back home and uh, 
yeah, young entrepreneurs just killing the game. So we're going to have a very enlightening conversation. We're going to talk about, you know, obviously how COVID-19 has affected things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how he started the business, the ideas behind the business, monetization, all of that stuff. So I'm excited. Uh, thank you for joining us, first and foremost. Hey, it's an honor. I appreciate y'all. This is a long, long <laughs> So Nothing happens before it's time. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So let's get into it. Um, all right. So how do you, how does this all start? Because obviously, you know, you're young and um, it's a big idea. So what gives you the vision to start this and how did you go about starting it? Yeah. So it's funny. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. My, my parents are entrepreneurs and growing up, I, I saw what it what it took to be in business for yourself every day. Um, and my, my dream was to be a lawyer. So I, I went to Georgetown for undergrad. I was super focused on making sure that I did everything possible to get to uh, law school. And so I stayed in D.C., went to Georgetown Law. And the summer between my first year of law school and my second, I, I was back here working at a law firm. It was the same summer as the Trayvon Martin case. And I'm sure everybody remembered George Zimmerman gets acquitted of Trayvon's murder. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I got an email from some friends. I've been doing some community organizing work in D.C. And they, they sent me an email and the subject was, what are we going to do? And I, uh, I sat on it for a second, but then I responded back to them with this idea that we needed to have a place where we could have the conversation. I, I really missed. You think about like high school and college, like those are one of the like last environments where you can you can just have people that are studying different things. Mm-hmm. People come talk about different things. And uh, I missed that. So I wrote back to them. This was July of 2013 saying, I think we should build a club basically for black folks in D.C. where we can get together. And I couldn't shake the idea. And so from that day forward, I worked on trying to build TGS. I sent the plan to one of my roommates from college the next day. And that was July 16th, 20, July 16, 2013. We worked every day after that to try to make it happen. So, but you went to school to study law, right? So this is like a complete career change. Did you have to battle with that side of it? Like, yo, I went to school. My yeah. dream was to be in the law field. And now my heart is pulling me towards something else. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a real, it was a real thing. I mean, I called my parents and I was like, hey, I, I don't think I'm going to be a lawyer. And I mean, they're entrepreneurs, but even they were like, what? <laughs> I mean, this I, I'm on like a 15 year journey to become a lawyer at that point. And I'm finally, I mean, I, I finished my first year. I've got two years left and then I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I mean, but this idea, if it, I don't really know how to explain it any better than it just like, it felt like it needed to exist. And so I, I told them, I was like, look, I'm going to graduate. I will finish my law degree. And so I was, I was scheduled to graduate in 2015. But every night, TK, who's my business partner, he would come to my apartment and we would, we would work that second shift all night long, uh, just working on the business. And so between 2013, when I wrote the initial plan to 2016, we'd actually open until 2016. Um, we worked each day, but people thought I was nuts. I mean, I'm, I'm at a very good law school yeah, top and, of and I'm the president of the black law students association. I'm doing all this stuff that was leading me in the path, like direction of being a lawyer. And so to come out on the other side of that and be like, I mean, I was telling people at graduation, like, no, nah, I'm not going to practice. And they would look at me and be like, like spend all this time and all this money to not practice law. What kind of law were you studying? I, I went there, um, and it's interesting where this, how this has shifted, but I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. For me, it was about trying to do something. That was the best way to help people. So that led to a lot of education kind of related classes um, in law school. But people thought I was crazy. I mean, all the way to the, like, 
the very, very, it, I feel like for some people, it didn't start making sense until 2018. We had been open and folks were like, yeah. okay, it actually. Now they see the vision. Yeah, like I could support myself um, by then. I mean, that was another part of this journey that folks didn't know early on. Like we were, we were broke, broke, broke. So how did, you, all right, so. 2016, you say you opened it, you opened the spot, right? 2016? Yeah, 2016. So you, so you finished law school, and then right after law school, you, you decided to open it? So I'm working that whole time. And so I graduate May. Where'd of, you work at? Law uh, firm? I was working at law firms. So I would just okay. go bounce between different law firms. But I graduated May of 2015. We moved the next day to Atlanta. We got we packed our apartments up. Uh, TK was working in finance in D.C. He quit his job to kind of time at the same moment. We got in the car and drove to Atlanta overnight. And um, from that day, I mean, it was about just trying to figure out how to make this plan we've been writing for two years happen. So how'd you? So with the brick and mortar businesses, there's a lot more overhead and expenses with just the internet business, right? So it's like you got to yeah. build out the spot. You got. I'm assuming it's a lot different things go into it. So where'd you get the? How'd you get the financing to do that? So that was that was one of the more painful parts of this whole process. The first number we got back was a million dollars. And I remember looking at TK and being like, dog, I'm about to go practice law. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know where we're we going to get this money. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. And um, we had a really important conversation with my dad. And he said something that we, we still say in TGS. He was like, son, small ideas will keep you small. And so you have to fight for the best possible version of what this this business could be. And so we kept dreaming. We kept pushing. And one million ended up becoming two million that we needed. Mm-hmm. Two million became three. And we uh we would just go around town trying to pitch people the concept. Um we counted though. It was ninety-seven straight people that said no mm. before the first person said yes. I mean, and I'm talking about painful no's. We would go to these restaurants and like I've sat in the lobby of the Ritz. I guess what used to be the Ritz in, in uh, Atlanta, nobody come. Uh, I've sat at dinners with people where you pitch for four hours. And I kid you not, this dude said, so what is it? <laughs> like after four out, four straight <laughs> hours. And so we, we, we kept going, though, and we would ask people, even when they told us no, to refer us to people. And so they did. And we kept going. And the number kept growing, but kept using that same advice. Like small ideas will keep you small. Mm-hmm. And that's how the... I don't know, the fight kept going. So when, when you're trying to get the financing, I'm, and my mom thinking like, what's that process like? Because you're trying to get financing for something that isn't really here yet. Yeah, and you're trying yeah. to tell people like, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. So how do you convince them? What, what's the conversation like? It, it was it was a crazy chicken or the egg problem because like, you needed investors in order to get a building, but you needed a building to get investors. <laughs> right. Because you would go to people and be like, yo, so I have this idea. And they'd be like, well, where is it? You'd be like, well, if you give me some money, I'll find out where it is. <laughs> So we were, we got to a point where we kind of like talked about both things happening at the same time where we would like, we, we had found a, a spot where we are now and we just kept like believing that we would have the money necessary by the time we needed to. And there were kind of all these different dates where you had to have different amounts of cash. Um, and we're fortunate enough that like those, those numbers came in. I mean, and, and they were, they were big numbers that we needed. I mean, it was half a million, another half a million to meet uh, different deposits. But that was that 97, just like all over town, pitching people. Yeah. Like just, just 
I mean, I was talking to anybody that I could about TGS. Yeah, I, I read that you, uh, your slogan became, hey, you got anybody else that can tell us no? We're looking for more people. <laughs> yeah, truly, like, it was not a personal thing when you told us no, because I believed, I believe then and now that, like, if I talked to you and you didn't get it, that that was actually a sign that we were headed in the right direction. Because I'm like, anything that's disruptive, like, you're not supposed to understand. And that's how we, it wasn't personal. Folks would say no, and I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, you have another friend? That would say no. And then a lot of times they did. So you had to raise $3 million roughly. Yeah. So who was your first big break that was like, all right, I'll, I invest, I'll invest in this? It was a, a guy that, that nobody uh, knows. knows here. Yeah, he, Just like a low-key yeah, businessman? He had made some money in, in the stock market. I guess we bugged him enough. And he was like, I'll give you 200000 and our first check was 200000 So was it, is it like a shark tank? Are you giving up equity? Like, are you- yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah, there's no debt in the business at all. It was all equity. And so, yeah, we were okay selling parts of the company to, to get the money. And how long did it take you to get the, the full amount? Nine months of, like, when we, since, like, from the time we moved back here, it was nine months until we had it, like, fully funded. funded. And even that is kind of strange because, like, it truly wasn't like you read these stories where it'll be like, we got all the money and then we started. That wasn't what we were doing. Like we would get some money in and like sometimes y'all, I didn't even have the cash for, I don't even know if it like officially hit our bank account because <laughs> I'm telling you that money would be gone. So we'd be on the phone with the bank. Like, look, I wrote a check. And so there's some money that's about to hit our account. I need you to clear the check that um, we deposited because it's like it's coming out the same day. It's in transit like, already. Yeah, like I mean, we we learned all the different ways that you can develop relationships with banks and really try to like speed up the process because we were we weren't funded like how folks talk about doing stuff where you just have millions and you're sitting on cash. Like I remember this article came out that was like Ryan Wilson opens three million dollar private club, and it was it almost made me want to cry because like we had no money. When that article came out, mm-hmm. I mean, we were truly, I used to call TK on Mondays and be like, yo, how much money do we need to make to make it to Friday? Mm. And that was, that was really how we lived. I mean, how do you make it to Friday? So, all right. So you raise the money, you open a spot. Um, but that's only half the battle because now I'm assuming now you got to have staff. You got to start to pay back the investors on a certain level, or just have some revenue come in, period. So now what's the next step after that to actually build it out and generate revenue? Was it to bring people in as members first or events? Or what would you do first? So there's there's three parts of our business. So yeah, members are, are kind of the core part of it. But then we have a restaurant and bar and we have events. And so we still do those three things to this day. But early on, it was trying to get good at all of those things really fast. Like we didn't have any time to sit and like... I, I, this time was very painful, but it taught us the fundamentals of the business in a way that like nothing else can teach you. I mean, when you you truly have people to your point, like on payroll and you're looking at them and you're thinking about rent and groceries and like they're counting on you to figure out how to make sure that every check clears. You you start to figure out ways to to make money. And that was that was our promise to one another. TK and I we were like, yo, if we can get the place built out we will do everything at that point to make sure that we're successful. So like that, that won't be the reason why this doesn't work if we can just get open. So once the door is open, that was game time to me. And we, we 
talking to everybody. I mean, yeah. I, I've been every every building and office in this city. If you know them and they're in the culture, I probably knocked on their door at some point trying to figure out what we could do. Corporations, so, events, anything we could do. Is that the marketing plan? Right. So obviously you have to get members now. So the marketing plan is like, yo, let's go knock on as many doors of people that we know in the culture that's trying to do things for people. Or like, is there something else that you're doing? I mean, we didn't have any money for for ads or any of that early on, so yeah, it was. I'm. A, I, we were talking. I mean, we would, and we would host stuff, so we would be like, come to TGS and let's talk about you know X, Y, and Z, and from there meet people, and then the same thing we did with the investors. Do you have anybody else that we should meet? And a lot of times, folks would be like, yeah, you should meet my man. You know, doing this or doing that, and I'd be like, perfect, cool. What's their number? I'll call them. Yeah. And we did. I mean, it was like yeah. there was no money for we weren't on radio. There was no I mean, it, it, we were talking to people yeah. and, and and posting whatever content we we didn't run our first marketing anything until two years plus in. And by then, people knew about the gathering spot. So there wasn't any like, I, entrepreneurs that talk like that. Where they're always like. You know, I need money so I can get marketing. It's like I I hear you on one level, but you can you can get your own stuff out if you have to, um, depending on what it is. And that's the person we took. So as far as the um, membership, and so correct me if I'm wrong. The membership is for people that it's like a co working space. That's the people that pay memberships, right? So in part, so you have access to the workspace, to the restaurant and bar, and then we program a lot. We host like 30 events a month that are specifically for members of the club. What you are more getting as a member is access to the network of other members. And yeah, sure. The ability to work and sure the ability to eat, but more of like the, the, the combined network. I mean, the youngest member is 21. The oldest is 88. There's people that work for some of the biggest companies in the city and people that are starting their own businesses, dope creatives. Right. So like if you think about it, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to figure out how to be successful, Meeting other entrepreneurs is great, but like meeting some creatives is even better. A lot of times meeting some people that work for a lot of the other companies in town that could be helpful. So we're building that more than we're building like workspace. So it's like a secret society exclusive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, there's exclusivity to it, but it, it, for us is more about trying to make sure we, we know everybody that's there so that I can introduce you to whatever it is that you're looking for. So my, my goal is when you come to our bar, that the person on your left and your right are people that you want to meet for some reason, whether that you can do business with them or you just want to know them socially. That's what our team is trying to build towards each day. Like, how do I make sure no matter when you pull up, both of the people are folks that you want to talk to. Um, and that's, that's what, that's what people are really like joining more than anything. So how did you bring, you said you didn't run ads for the first two years and you've built a reputation cause I've heard about it in New York. So obviously you've done a good job with branding and um, you know, it's, so how did you do that? Like, what was the marketing plan if you wasn't spending any money on ads? Putting out content. We were just social media. Uh, yeah. I mean, not paid stuff, but we were, we were do stuff. We would put it out on social. And then, I mean, that old school thing of really inviting people. We looked at TGS as our home and I was trying to invite as many people into our house as possible, certainly early on. So we were, I mean, legends in this city that would partner with us on doing like I, I like I, I remember the dates of some of them like August 4th 2016 got some legends <laughs> Shaka and shout out to Shaka but Shaka Zulu brings Ludacris and Natalie Emanuel to talk about Fast 8 packed house the mayor comes Kasim was the mayor that uh, that time Kasim comes to TGS for the first time 
And so TGS started to get out because there were these moments that were happening that like you really couldn't find anywhere else. And like conversations that were happening that like there weren't to this day really don't happen in a lot of places. Yeah, I remember when we, when we did our event in Atlanta, a couple people, they was like, you should check should out the gathering. That's where it should be at. That's where it should be at. So next time, next time. <laughs> yeah. So, so with, with membership comes pricing, yeah. right? And so how did you figure out the, the, the sweet spot of pricing and like what analytics did you use to come up with a price that you felt like, you know what? This is where we should be for our members. A, a lot of market research. So we would go to some of the co-working spots, but a lot of the, the city clubs. So the, the best comp for TGS is really the city club market, not really co-working spaces. And so we would go to every city club and figure out where they were priced. City club? what? what okay. Yeah. So there's black folks historically have not been invited into city. Like these. they're basically country clubs without the golf. That are they're around town. Oh, that's like um. I, I think we think that well, we went to the, the joint Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah, that's crazy. What's the name of that place? Uh, Soho House. So, yeah, okay. Soho House. So, Soho House. So yeah, so, Soho is a very well known. That one's for creatives, um, and is in a lot of different cities. But there's even like old kind of stuffier, like the Yale Club in in, in Manhattan. Like, like when you hear people say like Good Old Boys Club, yeah, like yeah. the Good Old Boys Club is the the city club or the country club in a lot of cities. Mm. And so I would study those spots and be like, what would it be like to build one of those, but for the culture, like where where you could come dressed how like we want to dress and hear music that we want to hear and see art that we want to see. Like those were the kind of drivers. And so we did research on how they were priced. Um, there was one in town when we first started, and this is it's funny how things changed, but they were $200 a month. And so we said, all right, we're going to be 185 mm-hmm. and, and we're going to, we're going to be open more than them. We're going to have more programs than them. And I remember people would be like 185, like they're too, you're new. How are you going to do that? And we started growing and then we eventually moved within like six months, we moved up to $200. Uh, which is what it is now. And what's funny is that they're like 175 now. Uh-huh. They've, they've come the opposite direction. Um, and TGS is the most expensive city club in Atlanta with black folks. And so there's a whole bunch I could talk about in that. But it's either $200 a month or $2,000 for the year. It's how we're priced. Everybody's on equal on equal footing. So... That's interesting because, yeah, now I have a better perspective on it because, yeah, like the the, the Yale Club in Manhattan and those – and you, you're right. It is an exclusive situation and um, a lot of wealthy people, businessmen, they go there and it's not something that the average person probably knows about. And you don't really hear too much for, like, you know, our culture, stuff like that. So to create that, that's still a reasonable price, $200 a month. That's a reasonable yeah. price because a lot of those is, like – a thousand dollars a month is mm-hmm. like crazy. Um, I mean, the like the country club, country clubs. Well, country clubs, I mean, they're, like they're, eighty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, you could go eighty or hundred thousand just to get into a country club. So we were never trying to be anywhere near that. But yeah, to your point, we've never been invited in any of those spots. It's never. It's, it's two groups that we paid attention to: is black folks and women that have never been invited into the country club, city club experience. And so, the club is black. And sixty percent of our membership base are women on purpose. How do you how do you um, gauge the women? Like, how do you get the women engaged more than men? Black women lead everything first. So, I mean, honestly, those were the the first folks that really just so su- supported supported it. the business. I mean, we were 
24, 25, depending on what we're talking about. And so it was a lot of black women that, you know, at the top of their game in the city, they were like, all right, I'm going to join and be a member. And then from there, I mean, we, we built our team and just talked about how that was important to us. I mean, and it, it still is. I, I never wanted that good old boys club kind of talk to be affiliated with TGS. And so the way that you avoid it is just like, it, it has always been harder to join the club as a guy. And we, we prioritize making sure that women were at the, the head of the experience. So it's harder. We just don't accept as many guys. Yeah. So you have to be accepted in. Got to be. You got to apply. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's, that pro- what's, yeah. what's the process? Yeah. So it, it starts online. Um, you you give us some general information about you, but then there's an interview. So someone on our team will get in contact with you and ask you, um, yeah, about what you do. But, but to be honest with you, it, we don't care so much about what you do on a day to day. The the most important question to us is like, and we ask it this way: is what animates you outside of the office? And the answer to that question uh, matters because we're not at TGS like trying to be stuffy for stuffy's sake. This ain't about you know self congratulating each other and just sitting around looking at each other, mm-hmm. but about being specific about knowing who's there so that you can get work done. Quality so, quality yeah. control. Yeah. We actually we had a um, we went there. Ash Cash, shout out to him. You know him? Absolutely. He's a, he's a member. We met Absolutely. him. We met him there the last the last time he was in Atlanta. Yeah, it was a sorority having an event there. Um, as as we pulled in. Yeah, for sure. Good brother. Yes, yeah. that's our guy. So, all right, we're in Atlanta. This is the home of black excellence, influencers, all of that. So, you talked about Ludacris. How important is it to tap in with the influencers, entertainers, athletes out here, and how has how like valuable is that as far as like a stamp of a celebrity coming in and yeah. I was know. looking at the names on the wall when I got there I'm like oh that, hey, that's Cam Newton <laughs> it's like black Hollywood out here yeah I mean you'll you'll see um, you'll, you'll see and it, it's said all over time but there's a really dope company that has um, some uh, shirts that say Atlanta influences everything and to me it really does because more than anything the thing that we export and send all over the world is our culture. I mean, you could go anywhere in the world now and people know and have heard stuff that's come out of this city. So things have changed. It, that used to be us in New York. Yeah, y'all, I mean, <laughs> you know, Atlanta had it for the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you know, that it is used to what be it us. is. They, no, they, I, I'm giving it to Atlanta. I mean, it, it's, it, but it's, 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 it's a fact. It, I'm biased, but it, I mean, it really is a fact. I mean, like, a fact. You can go anywhere and people, people know this sound. They know, they know the culture that, that it is uh, made here. And so, yeah, it was it was very important to make sure that the club not only like opened our doors to make sure that it was like the culture was invited and was building the experience with us, but to get to other cities, um, we we didn't think that was possible if TGS wasn't understood as being kind of one of the places where um, it don't matter what we're talking about if it's music or sports or whatever that that community felt at home at so. I mean, so the, the Ludacris event, um, you said that the mayor came. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself, because I've, I've seen a, the level of politicians that have come to the gathering spot. Okay. Right. We, we had uh, Ambassador Andrew Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stacey Abrams. I, I think I believe I read you had President Biden Absolutely. show up. So how did that come about? Was it because the mayor came and now it's like, wait, politicians are saying like this is an audience we need to tap into. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of things. One of the things that's cool about Atlanta is that we know each other across industry lines here. So it's not weird to be in politics and know an artist. Um, 
But I mean, an- another thing is that I mean, we're very politically active, and it have been the entire time. I mean, the world you put the world on notice. For for me, I, it never made sense to to be neutral about politics. So mm-hmm. we were never, you know, you have some businesses are I don't get into politics or I don't have an opinion about that, and like really everybody does. I will tell you like who we're supporting and why we're supporting them, and we will work to try to get those people elected. And so yeah, I mean, both on a local level, but then all the way through. I mean, we, we've had uh, President Biden on a, on a couple of occasions. We've had Vice President Harris on a couple of occasions. Um, and that's that's all because I mean we're we're very active in trying to make sure the folks were voting and understood what was at stake in all the I mean it's not just this last election cycle like since we've been open. So let me ask you this: as far as COVID nineteen, right? When brick and mortar businesses are closing left and right, yeah. Not only do you have a brick and mortar business, you have a gathering spot, literally <laughs> business. So that's like even crazier like you know what i'm saying to be able to survive like in this climate atlanta is a little different because regulations aren't aren't the same that was that was that was very nice of you you said yeah, a little different so the first thing i want to ask is how you survived that but the next two locations are in states where it's completely different from atlanta um yeah. well district of columbia and la which are democratic you know territories strict lockdowns mm-hmm. It's not it's not the same. So how have you been able to manage during COVID and building those two locations out in different parts? What are your thoughts? Are you a little nervous about that or what's your what's your thoughts on that? I'm I'm not really nervous, though, because the the core focus of our team is really not about space. I mean, I I know that that sounds we we have a lot of space. I mean, the club in Atlanta is twenty five thousand square feet. So it's not like we take little spaces but the focus of our team each day is really about people, right? And so COVID can't change that interest, right? Connecting people is, uh, the, I remember we we had a meeting early on after we had closed and I was, I was trying to tell our team, I was like, look, this is definitely unprecedented. Like we've never been in a situation like this before, but the setting is going to change. The mission of why we do this every day that's not changing at all, right? Like the this has always been about connecting people by trying to create experiences. So we're going to create them online or whatever ways are, are the safest way to do it, given the times. But why we are doing this each day is not going to shift. And so even when it got hard, that's what we would tell ourselves. As, as cliche as that sounds to, to a certain extent, I just refuse to have COVID be the thing that, that, just, that couldn't be... Uh, so much it happened at TGS. Yeah. I was not like COVID couldn't be the thing that was going to to kill it, especially when like again I've never woken up in the morning and been like, man, I wonder how the workspace like how we're gonna build a better workspace. Or, like it, it, that's just I, I'm thinking about how can we get this person to come and speak, or how can I make sure that these two people know each other, or like how can we explore this topic to make sure folks are informed. COVID doesn't touch any of that. And so D.C. and L.A. and really any other city that we're looking at, I think the fundamentals of building community, that doesn't change no matter where it is that we go. And that's what I'm still focused on. It'll feel different. It'll look different. D.C. has a very different culture than Atlanta. But it's still about community. And so there's thankfully there is a very large group of members in D.C. right now. And we, we really haven't like been fully open in, in D.C. Do you feel like the 
the future of even community may change. Like we see apps like Clubhouse where eventually, really Clubhouse is just a networking yeah. event yeah. on telephone. Um, so do you think that potentially us as humans may change the way that we interact with people and not actually interact with people um, face-to-face anymore? Nah, so this is where I'm old school. I think that I think there's certain things that are just fundamental. You can LinkedIn me or DM me all you want to, but eventually I'm going to ask you to come meet me somewhere. If we really are friends, if we're really like, I'm going to ask you to meet me somewhere. And I mean, you, you hear it all the time. People talk about Zoom fatigue and I, I can't do another <laughs> Zoom. Like that's because at the end of the day, like we still want to see each other at, at a point in time. Like we, we could have done this conversation yeah. on a computer. Not the same vibe. It doesn't have the yeah. same feel to to it. And so, no, I, I think that folks that talk about stuff changing in that way yeah. are going way too far. But, like but during, during the process, did 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 you build out T, uh, TGS online? Like I, I, yeah. I was reading somewhere you, you created an online environment for. Yeah, we were, we were fortunate that we we built out an online platform that rolled out in October of 2019. Okay. So going into COVID, we already had a lot of content on the site. Yeah. So that wasn't a major pivot. We just did more stuff. More focus on, on it. Online. Yeah. I mean, but it was already there. Um, we had, it was weird. Like for years we didn't have that. And then we made the decision to make sure it was really driven by like people would live like an Alpharetta and want to see a program, but they just didn't want to drive the TGS on a given night. So we were recording this stuff and just putting it on this uh, platform. And it worked out that when, uh, when COVID hit, we had all that stuff. Plus, I mean, we, I mean, we do, we film like ten conversations a week mm. at TGS, so like it was. So you you, you sell those? So it just is included in your oh, membership. Your membership. Okay. Yeah, if you're a member, you can watch whatever we've ever done. Do you have any plans of doing events like virtual events or anything, like stuff that you? If you're not a member, is everything exclusive just for members? Everything's for members. Do you have any plans on doing things for other people that's not members? So we we anything that is about like social justice or political engagement, we open that stuff up. So, I mean, during the summer when there was a lot of uh, protests here, we opened our doors up to any protester or any organizer in the city that needed a space to organize. But then we've also opened up conversations. So, I mean, even as recently as last week, we had a conversation about uh, violence in Atlanta and you don't have to be a member to watch that conversation. We just think it's important. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's probably the one exception to the membership uh, piece if we just think it's something that the community needs to know. But I was thinking like even from a monetization standpoint because like online summits is big right now even regular summits but, yeah. and it's like you know it might be another revenue stream. It, it it could be for us. I mean we ended up buying a music conference and festival down here called A3C. I was okay. going there. I was uh, getting there. I told you so a lot more of the efforts in terms of, of monetizing content and all of that have been on the A3C side and less about TGS. So uh, A3C existed before. I you didn't yeah. you didn't create it. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, okay. no. We we bought it. Um A3C this past year was year sixteen. Yeah, okay. So it's been going for a minute. Yeah, I've heard about it. I've heard about it. I think I went there. Did we go there? Ooh. One music festival. One music yeah. festival. Okay. Shout so all right, so let's talk about that then. That's interesting. So how did how did this come about as far as is A C three? A three C. A three C conference and festival. Yeah. How how that how'd that come about? And how did how do you acquire a music festival? Like how's that? So I'm on a panel with an entrepreneur uh 
named Paul Judge, Doctor Paul Judge. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, we we got, that we guy. Got, yeah, we gotta get him. We keep, <laughs> yeah, he's okay, keep, another uh, one that just uh, keeps slipping, crossing paths. I, I will. I'll try to see if I can I can help uh, with that. So I'm on a panel with with uh, with Paul. It was Paul Coach K at this at 2018 at A3C, and I didn't really know Paul that well, and it, it was it was interesting, right? Like we. I mean, we knew of of one another, and mm-hmm. had been to, he he been to all of his uh, his businesses around town. Make a long story short, I learned that the business was coming up for sale. And what was interesting about A three C is that it was not owned uh, by the culture at all. Four four white guys owned A three C. Oh wow! And I uh, I, I mean, had no plans of, of buying it, but heard that the company was um, thinking about selling. And we just started talking about like I mean, this is Atlanta. We talked about this is like home of, of culture in many ways. What is it like to have like a major conference mm-hmm. really be owned by the culture too? And um, we spent the last half of 2018, some of 2019, to buy the company and produced the 2019 version. A3C happens every October. Yeah. So we produced the 2019 version. Um, that was when they, that well, Nas was the feature on that one. That was the so that year was a, before. Okay, I think um, our headliners were on the music side. Megan The Stallion, um, Most Def was on it. I'm trying to remember everybody that year. Who else performed? There, there was like 20 different concerts. So but then Dapper Dan was the keynote that year. There was a lot of people who spoke. So it's like a South by Southwest thing? Yeah, so it's, it's conference and, and, and music. music. So music at night. Is, is it held at the gathering spot or is it spread out throughout the uh, Yeah, no, the, it's A through C is too big. I mean, there was, there was 27,000 people or something oh. like that at, at uh, A through C in 2019. But it, it's indoor at America's Mart downtown and then at music venues all across the city. So that's how it's like South by. So you didn't do it this year? All virtual this year, but... What's your plans forward, moving forward? So it's in October every year, so we feel good about see how it ha- see. Yeah, we feel good about being able to get back in person by then, um, in close contact with all of the event, big event kind of planners in in town, and everybody feels pretty good about October. So our plan is to be back in person. So how is that? Because we you ever heard of Curl Fest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we interviewed. Yeah, uh, I saw people. Yeah, we grew up with her. Uh, shout out to Simone. We interviewed her, and she was telling us about putting together a festival. That's the first person that we really interviewed that has something to that scale and they have like 30,000 people that come to that. Um, but this is, is music and you said like fashion and tech and all of that stuff. Yeah. So what is the undertakings of putting this together? Like how long does it <laughs> take? Long planning the, process. Yeah. Like what's Man, the, if y'all would have told me how much somebody would have told me how much it takes. I, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot of planning. I mean, we hosted, just shows. I mean, there were seven like primary shows our year that the first year we did it, and then conversations. I don't. I can't even tell you. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's like hundreds of speakers by the thing time is is all over. And it's a lot. You we, we really is it worth team. it financially? Because I seem like I think she was telling us Curlfest costs like a million dollars, something like that. Put together, yeah. Oh, it costs it costs yeah. more than that to produce. Um, well, your thing is probably more involved, so. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you make money, I'm assuming, off of sponsorships and ticket sales, but is it really financially worth it? Yeah. No, I mean, it it, it, it certainly can be. I mean, uh, I look at, I mean, the 
A3C has existed for a while, but we are rebuilding parts of the model and, and um, building new relationships to help scale, like especially on a partnership uh, front. And it, it definitely can be. I mean, if you look at some of the big conferences and, and festivals that happen, when you get to scale and you have top tier partners, it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, to be honest with you, the, the motivation for A3C and us acquiring it was more about trying to to make sure that the it was just owned by the, the culture. And I mean, it, it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad business by any stretch. But I can't say that the motivation was to you know retire off of A3C either. So are the local companies? I'm talking like the big companies here in Atlanta. Are they allies in this in this in this deal as far as sponsorships like Coca Cola and, and Turner? That they yeah, I mean, it? Atlanta has the third highest concentration of Fortune 500 right. headquarters in the country. So you got a lot of businesses in town that that you know through their brands interact with the stuff that that we build. So yeah, Coke. Uh, you got all the airlines here. You got spots like Home Depot. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a like a, a great city to have those conversations. Yeah, because banking. I, I mean, there's a, all the banks are. I heard you said that you know there's a lot of disparity here in the city, and yeah. the one thing you're going to start doing is measuring allyship by activity. And I was like, ooh, that's powerful. So like, is this one way, or what are some other ways that you make uh, you're going to make sure that that happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this moment requires us to really push beyond conversation. Um, I mean, for as much as I, as I love Atlanta, there are some challenges here about making sure that everybody in Atlanta is going to be able to participate in the future growth of the city. And historically, we've not done a good job of doing that. I mean, right next door to the gathering spot, the, the next neighborhood over, the median income is $28,000. So... To have that community be right next to a multi-billion-dollar stadium mm-hmm. and the headquarters of one of the biggest businesses in the world that actually casts a shadow on the on uh, those communities, we got to have active conversation about that leads to money. Frankly, like being spent, like we we have to have investment in our community in ways that um, we haven't seen here. So yeah, I'm not I'm not well wishes and you know having nice thoughts about black folks, which I think we saw a lot of last year is cool. But at the end of the day, it's going to be about who actually like, put some resources into the community in a way that moves the needle. I mean, we, we need it at this point. If, um, if the city is going to be a place, frankly, that everybody wants to live in, mm-hmm. but certainly if black folks want to live in. So the expansion, as far as um, your first model, obviously was to get private investors, give up some equity did you do that the same with the LA and DC operation? We raised we raised uh, one more round to to continue to expand and yeah, still no still no debt um, in the business, but we've t- taken in more equity, and that that's been the way that we've decided is the best way to grow to, to grow. Because in addition to the you know th- this is a it's a big topic because you have some people say you know I don't want to give up anything equity, in my yeah. yeah. That's not how I feel about it. To me, if you can have strategic investors that can help you accomplish those goals, almost partners, then it actually becomes really worth it. And I would rather own a smaller percentage of something that's way bigger than sitting here hoarding all this equity that doesn't mean anything. So I I don't take the approach of saying, 
you know, don't sell parts of the company. If it makes sense to do so and it, ho- it will help you scale, then I think that you, and you should do it. Are you careful who you work? Like, do you just, ex- I'm sure you're not accepting anybody's money, but it's like, that can also be a headache too. If you got somebody that's constantly calling you and they micromanaging everything. So it's like a marriage. Okay. Like I, I look at it like, like, do I want to be married to you? Truly, like my, my test is when I look at my phone and your name comes across my phone, like if it makes me sad to see your name at any point, I don't want you to be an investor in the company That's because it, that truly is like the, the test because you, you really are with those people for forever. So if you don't want to get married to the investor, don't have them in the business because they will like annoy you is not even a good enough word. Like you, you really... Behold really, it, like, you really yeah. like y'all y'all are in this thing together at that point. And if you, you think as soon as you get their check that you can ignore them or you think that they're going to give you a check and ignore you. That's not how that that works. So you have to make sure that it's a, a person that you really want to work with. So all the decisions are made by a collective. No. So, I mean, the TK and I manage the business day to day. There's a board that we meet with that you can almost think of it from an advisory perspective. We bring them questions or, or talk about that because, like, for young entrepreneurs that might, you know, they might be getting information from from you yeah. and kind of, you know, getting this mentorship. How did that go about as far as like putting together a board and like what is your level of governance as far as that's concerned? Now that you have outside money as well, so we 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 have control of the business. So the it it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you give a person a part of the company. That they, that they then have equal say in what happens in the company day to day. So we manage um, the company day to day with actually very little involvement. And that's part of the, we were looking for investors that really believed in our ability to do that. And so starts there. But then when you start thinking about a board, I almost look at it like building a team. You need a, you need a point guard. You need a, you need somebody to, to hold down the paint and who is, who can fill those roles to make sure that like, okay, so real estate, for example, is a blind spot for us. I don't come out of that world. TK really doesn't either. We have somebody on our board that like has rolled out hundreds of locations. So going into a board meeting and being able to say, Hey, like this is, this is all of the information that we have about a site. How do you feel about that? Hmm. Just hearing their thoughts. Yeah helps us to, to develop better thoughts and a, and a better process for how we do stuff. So like you are as an entrepreneur, the group of people that like are kind of around the business as investors, but then also on your team. And if you don't see it that way. Yeah. So, I, so that's the process of choosing where you're going to be put the next location. So obviously you, you, you had the idea, you drew up the vision, you go to the real estate guy. Hey, what do you think about this spot in DC? What do you think about this spot in LA? Mm-hmm. Are there other cities? Is, is New York, is, is Houston, Yeah, I've, I've looked everywhere. Houston, uh, New York, Dallas, uh, Detroit. We've looked every, everywhere. Um, and we have investors, too, that are from or live in a lot of these cities, mm-hmm. which makes things helpful. I mean, so if you look at, like, L.A., Baron Davis is an investor. Uh, Lou Williams is from here, but lives, lives you know, lives in L.A., LA the Clippers. Yeah. He's an uh, investor, too? Lou he's Williams? an investor. Uh, you look at Detroit, Big Sean's an investor. If you look at, I mean, m- like most cities. So we we had a we had a strategic approach to, as we thought about cities that we wanted to go to, who were people from or like that knew that city that yeah. could help us to understand the city better. So two, two, two questions. How many people is on your board? 
Five. It's just five people. Five people. Okay. And each person just has a, a expertise in something that they can bring that's valuable. All right. Um, how did you find all of these big name celebrities now, like the big Sean's of the world, the Baron Davises of the world? Like, how do you have an active campaign to reach out to celebrities to invest? Like, what's the deal with that? No, I mean the. To me, I operate with the simple principle that like good people know good people, right? And you never, you never know who exactly uh, you, you're talking to. So, um, someone I didn't name, who's an investor in the business, is Cam Newton, and we have known um, one of his advisors for years, and it was never about business. We were just cool. But one one day, I was talking to him about us raising another round. And he said, hey, I'd be interested in um, in showing it to our group. And he did. Same same thing. Will Packer's an investor in TGS. Same conversation where I'm very, very good friends with his right hand. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you should you should take a look at this deal. So it's playing uh, the the long game and, and developing relationships. And inside of the black community, honestly, it's not like. It's not that small, big. It's small a small. World. It's a small world. It, you know, you closing in on everybody. <laughs> you you're not as far away from anybody. Not not really. And and to be honest with you, like it's really not so much about depending on who we're talking about, the person, as it is the team of people, the business manager, the person that they consult on a regular basis for advice that you really need to be trying to get in contact with. I think that's a big mistake a lot of folks make is that they'll be like, I need to talk to Will Packer. And you do need to talk to Will Packer. Like, Will Packer's not going to write you a check if Will Packer doesn't know you. But he also needs to, like, if, if you, the way that you were introduced and having his team also feel good about the deal, his board, you know, and, and not, not formally in the same way, but like financial advisor, accountant. Yeah, the people that just having them feel good about it, it's helpful. So we talk to, to those folks as much as we talk to the people who you might know. Center so, of influence. Yeah. So, so, after the interview process to become a member or become an investor, is there a certain level amount of capital that I need to have in order to be an investor? Uh, so, the, I mean, the rounds have changed over time. So the first round was $3 million And um, at that point, this is actually a very important conversation. Mm-hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs get their cap tables jacked up really early by taking very, very small increments of money. You talk about that cap table? What is that? So cap table is just the it's just the uh, the list of the names and how much those names own in the business. Okay. And you want to make sure it's like it's okay to have other people on your cap table, but you want to make sure that there's there's a strategy to it to the to the extent that you can. So if you need a million dollars to start your business, doing that five thousand dollars at a time is really difficult. And then if you go out for future uh, rounds that next person is going to pull up your cap table and it's going to be like, like who are, like, I ain't trying to deal with who are these hundred people I got to, I, I have to deal with. Um, and like, what are their rights and responsibilities to the business? And so it is important to, to the extent that you can to stay very disciplined in trying to set minimum thresholds mm-hmm. and to say, okay, look, I'm raising a million and it's a hundred thousand dollar minimum for folks to be in the round. Right. Because at that point it's you're insignificantly enough. And like, there are things that can be done 
on through other structures for people to pull that hundred together. But for you as the entrepreneur, it only comes in as one single entry. Mm-hmm. And that's important. So like I could be like, yo, I need a I need a hundred thousand minimum. And then y'all could go talk and huddle on the side and go 75, 25 if you want to and create a company and then have that company invest in uh, TGS. But I would only recognize it as one single, it would only be one entry on the cap chart. And I think, again, that's important. So you have to stay disciplined there. I get it. Like There were times where I'm telling you, folks would be like, I'll give you 10,000. And I'd be like, (laughs) that 10,000 would be. But then I would look at like, what we needed to get accomplished. I'm like, yo, 10,000 won't even build the bathroom. Like, so we can't, it, it's not as helpful as what it feels like in the short term. When I would take that money, I would have spent it the next day and I wouldn't even have had a working toilet and, and sink. We're like, it just, it just takes a lot of money to, to do our, our business. So the first round started there, started pretty high. Yeah. First okay. round, the first round, it was, um, the first round was three. We weren't taking less than a hundred. Okay. So the equity crowdfund, you're not a, a, a fan of, I'm assuming. So it depends on what you're building. I mean, there, there's some dope entrepreneurs down here that have done it well. Isaac uh, Hayes, one of my one of my friends, he just raised two point six million on a crowdfund. And the the thing about the, the crowdfund is that the rights that shareholders have in that arrangement are not overly burdensome to the entrepreneur. So like. Yeah, you have a million investors, but like each one of those investors ability to actually talk to you as the entrepreneur is very limited in that structure. So I don't have a problem with it. And depending on what you're building, yeah. that's dope. Like, I mean, he's got uh, he's got thousands of people who are investors in his company. I think, I think, I think it could become a headache, though, when you're trying to manage expectations of people, especially if they have investment and they, they're looking for, you know, some level of return on their investment. It's like a thousand, ten thousand people. <laughs> Even if it's a hundred, that's only like one percent. But a hundred focal people is yeah. a lot. <laughs> no, it is, look, that it's it's not it's not the route that we've uh, chosen to go down. And it's honestly just getting to a point where you can raise that type of money on crowdfunds. I mean, it, historically, you couldn't go get a yeah. million dollars on a crowdfund. Obama changed that law, I believe. That the all the changes to to those regulations were huge to to open that up, but. That isn't how we've decided to to grow. I mean, we're very, I mean, we're going to L.A. Will Packer is a monster in, in L.A. Made some of the biggest movies of our, of our time. And so there's not a better person that I know of that could help us really understand, especially being from Atlanta. That's that, that's that's him. He's based in Atlanta, but has an office in L.A., does business in L.A. So our round was was strategic from like a location standpoint and a lot in a way a lot of businesses probably aren't and la is one of these places like atlanta where it could be like huge with like you know the in crowd celebrities and entrepreneurs and all of that yeah i mean but to be honest with you like we're not chasing that every day it's about trying to figure out how do you put that person that you may know next to the tech entrepreneur who you've never heard of Mm -hmm. and watching what they can do together like i'm more interested in that than just being in a room with somebody and being like, you see that person over there? Like that doesn't, that doesn't make our business. Like, I go back to like the mission of why we're trying to do this. The mission was never about being in a room and being able to spot people. It was about trying to figure out what happens when they can meet the person on the other side of the room or 
frankly, that they would have never, ever met before is where things get powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that enough in our communities. Like the music people know the music people and the film people know the film people. But like you know, when the film people meet the tech people and the tech people meet the the big business corporate people. Yeah. Stuff starts to, to open up opportunity. I mean, there's a member. He goes to new member orientation. It's a dope company uh, making music count. It was a new member orientation and he meets an executive at Turner and they strike up a conversation. A year later, they announce a deal between his company and Cartoon Network just because they went to, to new member orientation. I'm looking for that type of stuff. Because yeah. I, I feel like the only other place you would get that is at like a, a once a year conference or a once a year summit. It's kind of like you've done that for a, on a daily basis it, it, with these memberships. Even the even the conference thing, you, you, it depends, man, because... Some conferences is like, yo, it's for the music people. Right, right. They're so, more specific to one thing. So I'm not saying that you can't make good relationships at the music conference. I mean, yeah, if you're an artist and you meet a producer, like that could be a dope collaboration. Yeah. We just zoomed out a little bit more than that and have said, okay, you're an artist. Here's a tech founder. Here's an engineer. Yeah. Right? Like, and that, that's why it works. When you're doing this, do you have anything that's structured to like, Cause a lot of time for networking, it's like double Dutch, yeah, and it's like awkward. You just walk up to somebody randomly. So, do you have like a thing like was you know you know uh, Dave Chan? You ever heard of him? I have. Yeah. He has a thing where he um he's like a speed networking thing yeah. where you it's like he matches people, people up yeah. and it's like kind of forces you. Yeah. Have you done anything like that? We've done events like that, but honestly, our approach to it is why we do an event almost every day is that we're creating opportunities for those collisions that happen through the programs. So business doesn't always look like business when you when you walk into a room. And I, I think some of the best collaborations are not when we're there to exchange business cards and to learn about your, like, yeah. like, like for me, that, like, a lot of times that starts to get a little <laughs> What rubber band but, are you wearing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that gets a little weird. Like, we, we don't do it that much. It's more of... And honestly, there's not even a lot of business cards exchanged inside of TGS. It's more like you're at the bar. Catch a up. What do you, what do you, yeah, like, what do you do? We're all here for something. Uh, and sometimes that person will be like, it's not actually me that you want to know, but like, I know that member over there and you definitely should talk to them. And so through, through having different things happening is how people meet each other. So sometimes that's live music. Sometimes we host a lot of fireside chats and like, kind of like interview uh, style things. Sometimes it's workshops on how to like learn more about a, a particular industry. And that's where you start to like have the collisions that, that make sense, but it's not as forced. I don't even like for what I do. I don't even have business cards. If you ask me for my card, I'm like, oh, I don't. Yeah. No, I, I mean, help you. relationships is one of the most important. It's what, one of the things like even we, we learned with having this platform, almost 90% of everything. We don't have a, a PR person, everything that comes. So, like we got Mark Cuban, but that's from a relationship that we had with Al Harrington. Yep. I actually knew Al Harrington 15 years ago in prep school. Yep. So yep. it's like these little things of like Dame Dash was somebody that we always wanted to get. We got Dame courtesy of Kenny Burns. Yep. We got Kenny Burns courtesy of our guy Dave at United Masters. Yep. So I don't think people fully understand the power of relationships and yeah. it's like and, and long-term relationships, That's right? It's like, like it's, it's not the short-term stuff. I think where, where, where people get it wrong fast is where they sit and they like, what's your title? What do you do? Yeah. And then it's immediately trying to figure out what they how can, can take. How can you help me? Yeah. You got to help them. First. You, you got to sit. Sometimes, it, sometimes the, even like you can't help them. So whatever, just be a person 
that is around and that is is knowledgeable about whatever it is that you're, and you will be surprised how over time people will be like, oh, that's who I call for whatever when I go to Atlanta. Just just for, by being the person that was responsive and and nice and that didn't want anything. Right? I mean, for for as many activities and stuff that we do, I'm an introvert. I'm at my house most of the time, mm. and I, I I don't ask anybody really for anything, and that actually leads to more opportunities because folks know when I call them, I'm normally calling them with an opportunity, not trying to get one, right? Mm. And so if you're that person, where like, and that's how I want to be known. I want folks to know that like, yo, Ryan, I'm not gonna call you and just be like, yo, you like, I need something. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm certainly not gonna do that, but I'm not even honestly the person who's gonna call you and be like, are you good? Hey, everything good? Like, <laughs> right, the, you know, do you? I mean, you know, let me steal your number in, right? <laughs> I just, I want you when you see my my name come up on your phone to be like, all right, he's calling. There's there's something. So, there's something. He, there's somebody he he thinks should be on the platform. There's somebody. There's a brand that's called that needs like. That there's there's something moving, yeah. So that like, and and I, I limit my my interactions to stuff that I feel like is meaningful to to people, and I don't. And again, I don't take anything from from folks, especially if I don't think I can give them anything, you know, any anything in return. But long game, like it'll be five years later, and you'll be like, wow, that relationship from prep school paid off. I mean, like, yeah, you spent fifteen years to get that interview. You just yeah, how you got to look at it. That's how you got to look at it. Yeah, that's a fact. We we had a conversation, um, myself, Jamal, Shadi, and actually in UIL University yesterday about generational wealth and generational aspirations. And it's funny because I heard you say something um, when you wanted to practice law, what type of law you were practicing, and you said civil rights law. Yeah. And I know that your your, your grandfather mm-hmm. would played a major role in the civil rights movement. Yeah. And you said that your parents are entrepreneurs. And so I'm listening to you talk, to see, and I'm seeing it, the embodiment of it, right? You had a civil rights activist. You had entrepreneur parents. I know that you're a father now. And one of the things we discussed was how we lose things over generations. And it seems like you haven't lost anything. And so I know you're a father. So what, what are some things that you want to make sure that your, 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 your daughter, correct? Yeah, daughter. Your daughter yeah. is gonna you're gonna be able to pass down to her. Man, uh that's that's a that's a heavy um question. I, I more than anything, I want her to know that she is capable and again, this stuff sounds like bumper stickers, but like it really is it's like true to me. But like she is capable of accomplishing whatever it is that she wants to accomplish. I remember first week at Georgetown, I'm in um, I'm in class and like the first week they go through, this is X number of valedictorians. Everybody here is so smart. You, this is, you're lucky to be here with all these smart people. And it's, it's, it's a PWI, it's majority white folks. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in this class and this dude, um, he spoke. I remember just looking at him and being like, they're like, I'm not that smart. But bro, you're not that either. Like, <laughs> and so we got to compete now. Like, like it just, cause I, I was kind of sitting in the room like, man, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to, I was a good student in high school, but like, am I going to be able to bring it on this level? And I remember just hearing him and being like, nah, like my, my parents and grandpa, like they didn't send me up here to play small with this. Like I can't, I can't go out being a punk. That's how I, you know, I, I felt about it. And so more than anything, where I'm going with this is that I want her to know that whatever it is that she wants to go and do, that she can go and do it as big and as bad as anybody else uh, 
has or, or wants to do it. And that there's nothing that like, I'm going to knock down as many doors as possible. I think we, like we do a bad job of, um, of talking about this in our community. Like I'm trying to knock down doors for her that she did so that she doesn't have to knock down. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to speed up the process. Right. I, there's no, to me, there, there ain't no, like ain't nothing in, I don't get it. It's like you get, we Started work from hard. the bottom. Like we're not starting back from the bottom. No, for, <laughs> yeah. like, for what? That That's different than like her having a work ethic. I think that like, I'm going to make sure that she's a person that like gets up to work every day. Yeah. But the idea that like, I'm going to work as hard as I'm working so that she can go all the way back and right. work the same way. Nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So yeah. like, I'm going to call my friend from prep school and be like, yeah, my daughter has, and then she's got to go in the room and be impressive at that point. And my job is to make sure that she shows up in that way, but I'm going to make the call. Like I don't, and I'm, I'm going to make sure that she knows that when she's in the room, don't feel smaller than anybody because half the time, you know, these entrepreneurs, these stories will come out. And I'm like, man, like they just raised a hundred million. We sitting here raised three. This is, this is kind of like, this is ridiculous. But kept fighting for like it's, it's not that they're more capable than us is they have better access but they're not more capable and i want her to know that like she she's as capable as what anybody else is men white folks whatever group you want to point at like she can go and do that so there you have it so before we wrap it up i wanted to get what's your what's your vision for the next five ten years for the for the company are you looking to expand into different other areas of business uh, how many locations you looking at? Like, what's your, what's your vision? We're going to build 10 uh, locations. The goal is to be the biggest private club of our type in the world. So okay. I'm going to keep... All in America going. or some overseas? I've looked I've looked internationally. We'll see. Um, Toronto. Well, Toronto. I, 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 London. Please, I love... London. I love, I love Tor- Toronto's a dope city. <laughs> Please. Um, my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> but I mean, we've even looked looked on the continent. I looked at... Uh, Ghana. Uh, looked at Ghana. Uh, we've been in South Africa looking around. So... I mean, the, the map opens up for us, but at least 10 and, um, you know, we're rolling out in the next couple of weeks, the opportunity for people to really join the club, no matter where it is that they live and have access to our programming. So we want to be the biggest and best and most culturally relevant private club in the world uh, that does kind of the way that we do things, um, at, you know, at a high level. So I'm going to keep fighting every day until we get there. Love to see it. Love to see it. So, Ryan, pleasure. Um, how can the people contact you? What's all the information? Social media, website, all of that stuff. You can find us. Uh, you can find us uh, online at the Gathering Spots or on social media at the Gathering Spots. Um, I'm at Spot on RW, but uh, if you go to our website too, thegatheringspot.club, you can find all the information about the club. There you have it, Troy. Housekeeping items. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Dave again. Uh, shout out to Dave, our, our boy at United Masters, because I was like, Dave, we going to Atlanta. He was like, yo, he gave me a list of people. I was like, oh, Ryan's on it. Let's do it. And um, so we connected through her and shout out to An- Andrea. who Oh, he facilitated this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Dave. Shout out to Dave. And, and shout out to Andrea, who, who made sure that it happened. Um, So, yeah. And shout out to everybody uh, that's been supporting Earn Your Leisure, everybody on Patreon.com. We got some new members at Tier 5. Obviously, you know you have access to EYL University, uh, Nathan, Miss Brunson, and uh, Joseph. Uh, so we look forward to talking to you and shout out to everybody that's been so- supporting the merch. We both got our new tracksuits on. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure you you have some before you. You are now officially alumni. So with that with that comes some 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 great privileges. Yeah, 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 so welcome sure. to the club. Yeah, shout out to Bam and Schmitty. Also, I, I, I we got a, a loft in Atlanta where we run our merch out of. It's my first time actually actually seeing it in person. 
And uh, they're working very hard. It's a very impressive operation that they got going on. So, yeah, shout out to everybody that's making Earn Your Leisure. It's not just me and Troy. It's a lot of people behind the scenes. Shout out so, to Yeah. And shout Rich, out to Mike B. Mike. Mike. You see him zooming Jamal. through them streets. Man, congratulations <laughs> to y'all, though, for real. Like, Appreciate yeah, it. Y'all, Appreciate y'all, it. Y'all, y'all doing it for real. Appreciate, Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate it, brother. So, all right, guys. Uh, it was a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.